This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Citizen Capital Studios in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Sad day in the studio today. We've lost a legend. Smoke a doink for young King Dave, everybody. Yeah, it's one of those things where uh, you see it and you hope it's just people making shit up online, but gone far too soon young king dave r.i.p i don't know i don't know if i believe it i think young king dave is partying somewhere with tupac right now as we got the newscast coming up but uh after that we're gonna have a snippet of our chat with ariel cohen and adam shuck the co-chairs of pittsburgh dsa about the big socialist victories in the state this week. The uh, full interview is going to air for our Sentinel cast on Friday for subscribers only, but we'll play a, a little snippet for you guys on the newscast today. To listen to the full interview tomorrow, though, you're going to have to subscribe on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month gets you access to the Sentinel cast and other bonus content. It also gets you your own poem read on the air, a haiku. And I think, Sam, you're about to read one right now. This is for Mark. Wake up, fill diaper. That's what I do every day. The Daily Coast Guy. <laughs> thank you, Mark. And thank you, Armando. <laughs> And you're welcome to anyone who was blocked by him today just for faving a, uh, a tweet of mine. I didn't even fave that tweet, but I was blocked by him. And maybe that was from some prior incident. I don't even remember. Check out our Patreon again, patreon.com slash district sentinel. It's Thursday, May 17th, 2018. Here's the news. <laughs> The White House is trying to calm fears that next month's North Korea summit is going to shit. President Trump today attempted to show Kim Jong-un that he's negotiating in good faith, offering what sounds like normalized relations in exchange for North Korean denuclearization. According to The Hill, Trump said this of Kim, quote, He will get protections that are very strong. The best thing he could do is make a deal. That's uh, the first rule of international diplomacy. Sound like a mafia guy. Yesterday, Pyongyang issued a statement calling into question whether or not the June 12th summit will actually happen. North Korean officials specifically cited Libya and National Security Advisor John Bolton as a reason no one should trust the U.S. Bolton, of course, recently said the Trump administration was following the Libya model of disarmament, one that ended with Muammar Gaddafi overthrown and killed through NATO intervention. Also, the whole ripping up of the Iran thing, I got to say, uh, if I'm North Korea, I don't find that reassuring one bit. News about missing bank records. But first, I just noticed that Sam Knight is shoeless and sockless in the Sentinel Fort. 
it's very rainy today, and I took off my shoes and socks because they were wet. So that that is my rationale. I thought I thought this problem was behind us once we got rid of intern Nate. <laughs> I was wrong. Sam Knight is the problem too. Well, maybe intern Nate innocent. You, know, you ever think about that? No, absolutely not. Anyways. Senator Ron Wyden is asking the Treasury Department Inspector General to look into a claim reported on by the New Yorker that suspicious activity reports about Trump lawyer Michael Cohen have gone missing. Bank transactions of more than $10,000 are flagged and suspicious activity reports are then reviewed by an agency within the Treasury Department known as the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. And a source told The New Yorker that they leaked suspicious activity reports regarding Michael Cohen because they noticed that such reports about Cohen were going missing. Hmm. The Treasury Department IG acknowledged receipt of Senator Ron Wyden's request and is looking into how to carry it out. Wyden also wrote to the director of the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, Ken Blanco, asking if the agency removed Cohen's suspicious activity reports and why if they did. The New Yorker posited one explanation for the missing reports. They've become investigatory material now and have been put under wraps by special counsel Robert Mueller's team. Of course, if Wyden finds out anything here, he'll just let us know. He won't tell us what he found out, just that he found something out and we should know about it, but he can't say. Believe it or not, a CFPB rule appears to have escaped the Congressional Review Act. Republicans on Capitol Hill have failed to kill the Bureau's payday lending rule. Wednesday was the last legislative day to bring a repeal under the CRA. That's according to a coalition supporting the rule called Stop the Debt Trap. The Bureau could still kill the regulation at the agency level. It isn't set to take effect until summer 2019, but an expedited repeal under the CRA is now evidently impossible. A repeal proposal under the legislation could only muster four Senate co-sponsors Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Joni Ernst, and Pat Toomey. Since President Trump was inaugurated, there have been 15 executive agency rules repealed by Republicans using the Congressional Review Act. That includes a CFPB rule against companies barring cheated customers from class action lawsuits. Also, both the Senate and House recently passed a repeal of the Bureau guidance on racial discrimination and indirect auto lending. The payday rule was finalized in October by then-CFPB Director Richard Cordray, who's one of the Obama appointee's final acts. Perhaps one of the reasons many Republicans can't be motivated to kill it, the regulation itself contains no cap on interest rates. The CFPB is forbidden by law from, imp- from imposing rules on usury. The rule simply states that short-term high-interest lenders must try to ensure that customers can actually afford their products. In much less positive news for regulatory safeguards, yesterday the Federal Trade Commission appointed a corporate lawyer to lead the agency's Bureau of Consumer Protection. Andrew Smith has represented Equifax, Facebook, and Uber, among other giants of corporate social responsibility. And he has also defended a payday lender called AMG Services, according to the New York Times. The company was once penalized $1.3 billion by the FTC itself. Federal Communications Commission Chairman I.G. Pai appeared before a Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Tuesday where he was blasted by Senator Patrick Leahy. Pai was harangued for his decision to repeal net neutrality rules over the overwhelming objections of the public. He was also ripped for that video he made with the Daily Caller 
You remember that one, Sam, where he uh, dressed up in all sorts of outfits and had props and he was teasing opponents of net neutrality and dancing around with alt-writers and a Pizzagate conspiracy theorist? I'll just let Leahy take it from here. I think you've shown contempt for the public through your decisions. You ignored the overwhelming public support. I mean, I've never seen overwhelming public support for net neutrality. You've gone against the will of Congress by seeking to undermine media ownership rules. You've engaged in blatantly partisan activity. You've mocked those who disagree with you and what I think are ill-advised attempts at what you may think is humor. Uh, Too many people in the administration sometimes forget they serve all Americans, not just one person. And perhaps... um, Appearances at partisan political events or posting insulting videos with alt-right activists will ingratiate you to President Trump. But I think we have to remember, Democrats, Republicans, everybody else, we serve a higher uh, call, and that's the American people. Leahy did go on to bring up net neutrality specifically, which formally dies next month thanks to Pi. Leahy wanted some proof on claims Pi has made that repealing the rules will lead to more private investment, expanded access, and lower prices. You have repeatedly stated that repealing net neutrality will lead to more investment by ISPs, particularly in rural parts of the country. Your office has gone so far as to assert as fact that repeal will bring more service to underserved Americans while at the same time lowering the cost of their monthly bill. I hope you can provide Vermonters, largely rural state, who overwhelmingly support net neutrality with some specific data to show exactly how this new investment you claim will take place will benefit them. Senator, we can't forecast what the specific number will be, but we know the number will be higher who have access, in part because of our Connect America Fund auction, the Mobility Fund auction, and the other steps we are taking. Higher by what percent? 5%, 10%, 50% what? It's difficult to say, Senator, but we have seen an uptick in last year alone. There has been preliminary evidence that there's been a substantial increase in capital expenditures. We hope that trend continues. We hope that trend continues from last year, which was under net neutrality rules. And also, Pi mentioned other funds and auctions that have nothing to do with net neutrality. So... (laughs) Seems to be referring to just generally a uh, higher stock market, which also has uh, nothing to do with net neutrality itself. Although, killing net neutrality could certainly fuck up a whole bunch of the economy. Yeah, so that was a bit of a dipshit answer. Appearing next to Pi in the hearing was Federal Trade Commission Chairman Joseph Simons. He's new on the job. He was just uh, sworn in about a week ago. Once net neutrality is repealed, the FTC will be charged with policing unfair practices by Internet service providers. Senator Chris Coons asked if that might include things that violate at least the spirit of net neutrality. Chairman Simons, would, would you agree that paid prioritization, blocking, throttling, um, practices by ISPs that may advantage or disadvantage access to particular parts of the Internet uh, could be seen as unfair practices? Under the right circumstances, yes. And so are you confident that the FTC, should you end up in the place uh, where you are the principal provider of a guarantee of a free and, act, free and open Internet, you feel you have the authorities you need to do that, and if not, you'll come back to us and seek legislation that would clarify exactly what the regulatory framework needs to be? Yes, absolutely, sir. So... 
Would have been nice if uh, Senator Coons pressed him on under what circumstances that all Would the it things not be he an unfair practice. Or right, something? right, yeah. right. Yeah, uh, it could be a glimmer of hope, but probably not. Okay, that's the newscast. But before we get to the rant line. This week in Pittsburgh, two card-carrying members of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, won their primaries for the state legislature, Summer Lee and Sarah Inamorato. So it was a big night for the DSA Pittsburgh chapter, and we caught up with the co-chairs, Ariel Cohen and Adam Shuck, to talk about the victory. Now, the full interview will air on the Sentinel cast on Friday for our Patreon subscribers. It'll be five bucks a month at patreon.com slash district sentinel. But here's a clip from it right now. How, how early in the night did you realize uh, this was going to be a big night for you all? Adam and I were both poll watchers. So I think it was really exciting to be kind of the first people receiving the tallies for um, the, the races. Um, so I, it felt really good. Um, I think... I didn't want to jinx anything, um, and you never know until you know, but um, all of us were constantly refreshing the results and felt good really early. Yeah, I think like by that evening, after the polls closed and we all headed to the to the party, um, you know, I think everyone had like a really good vibe, really good sense, but, you know, the margin was, uh, to me, frankly, surprising. I mean, it, it was a blowout, um, you know, for summer and for, uh, for Sarah and for Summer. Do, do you think that this machine that you've created here to elect these people is also powerful enough to hold them accountable when they're in office? Absolutely. Um, I think we're, uh, we, we've built something really strong here. Um, we're keeping up this program uh, in oh, every single day. Um, we've cut all of the committees throw into electoral uh, work in the past several weeks and months, but they're also deeply entrenched in uh, the fights towards having a cleaner environment, towards exposing CPCs and building for reproductive justice. And they're going to hold every, uh, they're going to make sure to keep holding our elected uh, accountable. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, because Sarah's and Summer's races were so, you know, concrete issue heavy, and like, these are issues that our, our committees, our members are are actively working on, that there is going to be, you know, a, a tight connection between um, what's going on in Harrisburg and, and what members are organizing around here in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, it, it's still pretty early, but, um, you know, I, I've heard that, you know, these candidates may meet up in Harrisburg. Maybe there's something of a caucus. I mean, you know, this is, this is a first. And we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, curious to see how it's going to develop. But, um, you know, we're going to have some radicals in the, in, the, in the legislature. Thanks again to Ariel and Adam. To listen to the full interview, subscribe at patreon.com slash district sentinel. It drops on Friday. Almost the end of the show. But first, let's check out the listener rant line. Hey, guys, this is the corny generic white guy born in the 80s with a monosyllabic name and a goatee because my hair is fucking balding. Uh, I'm going to be traveling up through D.C., and I was hoping you could give me a District Sentinel solid and tell me how to buy that legal weed there. You know, is there a place you go to? Do I have to spend $60 on a sticker? Uh, any tips or anything would be real helpful. Thanks a lot. Sam Knight cracking his fingers, getting ready over here. 
there uh there's a website wheresweed.com that has a, a lot of delivery services uber herbs you have to google it because there's an umlaut in the uh, url that's another good service there's a uh, there's a store in columbia heights that you just you walk into and yeah uh, it's really really easy and you buy a sticker as as you described exactly as you described and uh yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty easy. All right, fellas, challenge accepted. Then, if the move to the right joke isn't going to be enough, then I'll say my piece. <clears throat> so, Mario and Luigi are definitely ancaps. Um, they, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a little drunk. <clears throat> they run around looking for money. All they care about is money. They don't seem to have like a boss. They just like work for themselves or whatever, an island unto themselves. They're not constrained by rule of law at all. They don't even believe in it. Of course, they are always moving to the right. And in terms of the whole royalty thing or royalist thing, well, you know, it's all private contracts, bro, and it's all private property, bro, and they can respect that as long as they're contractually obligated to fucking rescue Princess Peach or whatever. And even in the N64, uh, Mario... Oh, is it uh, Mario? I forget what it was called, but like, you know, the original N64 3D Mario, Mario bullshit. She's got a fucking letter, which is the same thing as a contract. So it's all contractual. It's all about money and capitalism. And they work. They're basically mercenaries. They're ANCAPs. They're fucking ANCAPs. And they just kill people and they get their money. And then, you know, they're like, Mario Luigi is like the uh, anarcho-capitalist fucking fantasy. So... There you go. But I still maintain that the move to the right joke was the bomb. Peace. That is a very strong case uh, to make about Mario and Luigi being uh, ANCAPs. And might I say that I should apologize. I have another correction to make about the uh, rant line. Someone called in uh, reading a script basically saying why... Uh, Mario and Luigi were workers because the the Toadstool Kingdom, etc. Yeah, and I said they were uh, reading some apologia for World War One, but that's not true. They were actually uh, reading from a Trotsky speech about uh, some hypothetical war between Brazil and the United Kingdom. So mm. I apologize <laughs> and appreciate the correction on Twitter.com. Mm. Yeah, uh, I guess I I was right in assuming that I was called a trot at the end of the call there. Yeah. All right, one last call here, and I'm, I'm really happy because I think we are finally digging down in to this Mario-Luigi debate and coming away with some more clarity. Hey, this is Macho Man Rand Paul's neighbor, and I just wanted to say that uh, you got to stop uh, wasting your time talking about whether Mario or Luigi or Wario or Waluigi or Birdo, or the fucking shy guy, are anti-capitalist icons, when the one true anti-capitalist video game is the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat uh, because of the blood code, A-B-A-C-A-B-B. All bastard-ass cops are big bastards. Did you used to use that code when you were playing Mortal Kombat, Sam?
I never had a Genesis, so I was I was a Nintendo boy. Thanks for the call, Macho Man, Rand Paul's neighbor. The Rant Line, 202-684-6108. Sponsors of the show include the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com. Another sponsor, levelnews.org. Subscribe to... Th- Another sponsor, levelnews.org and Citizen Capital. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or tune in by searching for District Sentinel Radio. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Tell your friends to listen. The newscast returns next week. The newscast returns next week. Patreon subscribers, you'll hear from us on Friday for the Sentinel cast. We're in D.C., so you don't have to be. 